0: I'm not going to probe into too hard of a topic and uh, it is my purpose actually throughout the presentation that I deliver that uh, one thing that I just want to um, emphasize, you know, just now I had the opportunity to walk with... how to pronounce your name again? Alright, that's that's, just how you pronounce your name. and It's amazing uh, he shared with me the testimony and how he became an Adventist. And it was just three years ago. This is a living testimony of what we are doing, so to speak. And you know, so I thank you for your message. So if you have time, ask him to share about his testimony and how the Lord has led him into the Seventh-day Adventist. One thing that I just want to highlight uh, is this, basically. Evangelism... Is actually not a project. I just want to repeat again: evangelism is not a project. Evangelism is a lifestyle. It is built within you when you accept Christ into your life and transforming your life. That's evangelism. You see, if we view evangelism as a project, we will go through this cycle of elation and depression. Why is that? When the project is working well, and you're bringing so many people, what happens to you? You're like, yeah, man, the Lord is near. I want to do this. That's what happens to you. But suddenly when the project is not taking off, what happens to you? You are down in the dump, right? You feel that you have not done the Lord's service, so to speak. But if evangelism is your lifestyle, it means you will always on the go to look out for opportunity to do outreach for people. If this project doesn't work, doesn't matter. Guess what? I have this to look forward to. If this doesn't work, doesn't matter. I will always on the lookout for something to do outreach. And I believe this is important for you and I to continuously uh, understanding and embracing it because that's the great commission that God has given for us. Now, just now, Pastor Yulden spoke about the statistics. How many of you have ever had a chance to look into the church statistic? 2014, the data was available in the website. The data, in fact, is actually quite sobering. Do you know in Australia, the rate of... Addition, the accession rate, every year, how many do you think? How many percents? About 2%, basically. So 2% is added to the church either via baptism or profession of faith. So not just baptism, either baptism or profession of faith. Now every year, the rate of death in the church is about 1%. And the rate of apostasy is 0.9%. This is in Australia. I'm talking about the data in Australia. So tell me, if we are to finish the work, how much likely are we going to finish the work? Huh? I, I think the further we go, the behinder we get, so to speak, <laughs> right? Because... I mean, uh, if, we, if, we, if the rate of death is constant, let's suppose we do such a he- good health program, the rate of death constant 1% throughout the whole year, uh, it means the rate of growth has to be double that in order for the church membership to double, correct? If we remain like that, we're not moving it everywhere. And I believe this is the time whereby, as a medical practitioner, we need to take leadership, I believe, not just in the health ministry or stuff like... Sure, there are projects that we can focus on, but I believe we need to take also leadership in the, in the evangelistic outreach. Don't be scared, you know? Sometimes we need to step out of our comfort zone so that we can win someone for Jesus. And I'm going to share about... Those methodologies and what you know I've done tomorrow, basically in the, in our last talk. But for tonight, we're going to talk about how to deal with success and failure. Let us bow ahead and pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you because you have been with us. We have been receiving such uh, great testimonies from various people, and the amount of ministry that are currently taking place in this uh, in this uh, continent. And Lord. I thank You, Lord, that uh, we have so many people who are willing to put their soul and uh, to put everything on the line for You. And Lord, I pray as we continuously working for You that You will continually to replenish that fountain of Your Holy Spirit within our life because we know that we cannot do all these works without You. And we pray that You give us a bolder and bigger vision every day, individually, that we may be a positive power of influence for those surrounding us, and that, Lord, we may play a part in hastening your second coming, that I believe with all of my heart is the only source of answer to all human sufferings in this world. Thank you, Father. We ask all these things in the loving name of Jesus. Amen. Now, the topic that I would like to present this evening is dealing with success and failure. To be honest, I was kind of wrestling about this Because is this dealing with success and failure at work or in the ministry or what? But uh, I pray that God will inspire something new within our mind and heart. How many of you have read these memes? I don't know if you... One, basically, you know how I I came across this meme? I was uh, browsing through uh, my Facebook one... uh, One evening, you know, from time to time, people send text message to Facebook, so you kind of browse through. And I came across this meme. I mean, this is very inspirational, you know. This is the kind of picture you want to put in your, you know, bed, and it's like inspirational. For example, here, Albert Einstein, he wasn't able to speak until he was almost four years old, and his teacher said he would never amount too much. Wow. Michael Jordan After being cut from his high school basketball team, he went home, locked himself in his room and cried. How about Walt Disney? Fired from a newspaper for lacking imagination and having no original ideas. That's Walt Disney, by the way. Steve Jobs. At 30 years old, he was left devastated and depressed after being removed from the company he started. And kind of the list kind of goes on. Actually, there are more other people being put. You know, Eminem, you you name it. All this kind of famous uh, person and how they deal with failure. And then I came across another meme again. This is about Michael Jordan. Look, look what this one says. I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost, what, 300 games on 26 occasions. I've been entrusted to take the game-winning shot and missed And I have failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Failure is not the end, not trying is. And you know what? You see this, and you're like, yeah, you know, especially when you try to find inspiration for your PhD writing, it's not happening. You see this, and I, yeah, this is good. But as I kind of think through this, as I meditate over this, there is a problem in this meme. And the reason being is like this: it focuses more on the outcome of the whole things, right? I mean, I'm sure there are somebody out there that have missed more than nine thousand shots in their career, or they have lost more than three hundred games, or on twenty-six occasions he or she has been entrusted to take the game-winning shot and missed, and yet she or he doesn't become Michael Jordan correct? Or maybe there are some people who lack creativity or original ideas or anything, and yet they do not become Walt Disney. You understand what I'm saying? So whilst this picture is inspirational in a way that, oh, look at this man who has failed and now they're successful, but still the focus is on the outcome of the whole thing's And they became successful, if you know what I mean. So if you do not become like them, you potentially can get seriously depressed or discouraged. Correct? Today, I just would like to probe a little bit more from the book of Hebrews 11. Now, I did not communicate with Eddie about this thing. This morning, he preached about Hebrews 11. And I was listening, I'm like, wow, you know what? I hope we can find some... I did not communicate with him. And uh, I hope that we can find something that is kind of interesting. When I first came across this Bible study, I find that is truly inspirational. I just want to share with you, if, if you have not come across this observation before, the book of Hebrews 11, and we know already that Hebrews 11 is the story of Hall of Faith, right? It talks about the big heroes in the Bible and how... They are called faithful. Now, obviously, out of all these heroes, there are certain characteristics that make God call them, this is my faithful servant, if you know what I mean. So I'm just going to walk through with you several of the example and then come with a concluding remark. Here, let's start reading. So first of all, Hebrews 11 defines what faith is. And then let's jump across to Hebrews 11 verse 4. Here the Bible says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than who? Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, or through faith, he being what? Dead. Still what? Speaks. So here, we have the first example of faith, and his name is Abel. And he was dead. You know what? If you are to, if you want to promote something, how would you do it? How would you do it? You know, do you think God has not done a good job here? I mean, you know what? Hebrews 11 is the story of faith, right? And then God begins giving example, the first person who is so faithful that he died because of his faith. Why not give Enoch, for example, that came in the second example in Hebrews 11 verse 5. The Bible says, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. In other words, now my question to you, who is more faithful? Abel who is dead or Enoch who never tastes death? Both are faithful, right? In other words, the same faith that leads Abel to die is the same faith that leads Enoch to live. Let's continue to walk through this interesting comparison. Now let's jump to verse 7. The Bible says, By faith... Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith Noah built his boat and he stayed with the people. In verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. So here we have another contrasting principle. By faith, O Noah, stay behind and build the ark. And the same faith leads Abraham to leave his family behind and go to a foreign land. Now my question, do you need faith as a Noah? I believe so. I believe Noah needs every single faith in order to stay in that degenerated society. How how I would picture it. Now, imagine yourself, you're doing your longest evangelistic campaign. Every day, by the way, right? So every day, when he wakes up in the morning, after having a bath and good breakfast, he goes out, you know, Building the ark, and he preached the same message. How many of you here have run evangelism for uh, for one month? Some of you probably have. How many of you here? Some probably. Some of the older folks have done that, right? How many of you here have done evangelism for six months? Anybody done evangelism for one year? No result, by the way. Every day. How many of you here has done evangelism for two years? No result. Three years, no result. Same message every single day and no result. How would you feel conducting 120 years worth of evangelism and yet people continue to ignore you day by day? Now, if you think that is big enough, if you think that is hard enough, and you know what, sometimes, right, for me, I can take the pressure. You know what I mean? You know, when you go for a few years and no result, it is already tough. But because I'm a man, I can take it. But what about if your wife, right, starts coming to you and say, Daddy, are you sure about this? You know, people are talking about you. What about your little sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth? Maybe, you know, they go to school and then every day when they go back, they say, Daddy, my friends are laughing at you. And uh, and maybe Noah can take it. But can you imagine the pressure that Noah is feeling within himself? Every single day, he had to face not just the rejection of the community but also maybe some doubts that the family starts raising you know for me right if giovanna and israela my two girls start saying to me daddy please give it up it's 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 really getting a bit embarrassing here at school you know how would i feel as a father at one stage i probably would give up if i do not have the faith of noah Noah had so much faith that he stayed behind and built the boat. And guess what? His uh, fruit, his family. Imagine that, running evangelistic campaigns. Same message. And by the way, we are Seventh-day Adventists. We've been preaching the second coming of Jesus since 1844, right? And one of the danger I feel or I sense is that we become complacent of this. Because we preach it so often, it becomes a colloquial language for us. It's like very nice thing to say that we don't actually sense the impact and the reality of His imminent return. That's always one of my fear, being a Seventh-day Adventist. And therefore, we have to be reminded every time. The question is that, is that message still burning alive in our heart? Is it still the same message that we... Felt it was the best message when we got baptized and accept the Lord. And now 20 years later, 30 years later, is it still burning in our life? That's a question for us to actually answer. And I'm just going to continue probably with a few more examples. Jump with me to verse 11. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. So do you need faith To give birth when you are senile already? Yes, you do need faith, right? Sarah needs faith to give birth to Isaac. But look what happens uh, in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. So the same faith that led Sarah... To conceive when she was already old and advanced in her age is the same faith that led Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. You see, you see, there is a common thread in this contrasting principle, if you know what I mean. I don't know whether you start noticing this or not. But basically, to God, it doesn't matter the outcome. What matters most is the process. What matters most is that can God trust you Whether you are dead or alive, can God trust you whether you are faithful to Him, either you choose to stay in Australia or to go overseas for mission project, or whether you offer your child for dedicated service or you have your child educating at home in a home school, that all takes faith. The outcome is secondary the first and foremost important thing is that are we faithful enough to God when He entrusts us into a certain situation? That is a question. You know, do you ever wrestle about your ministry? Like you wrestle, you know, have I done enough or have I not done enough, or what could have I done, or what? I'm sure every one of us, we go through these kind of challenges every day. It is at that moment in time that you bow down on your head, bow on your knees and pray, seeking the Lord for the answer, and He will give it to you. He will give it to you. God that spared God, His own Son, but delivered Him, us. For us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, this is one of my favorite texts. Faithful is he who calleth you, who also will what? Do it. So if God is already calling us, he will enable us to do what he calls us to do. That's why the Bible says, faithful is he. And God cannot lie. And his promise is sure. So we have to depend on that promise. Again, regardless the outcome of the circumstances. You know why? Because the Bible says, for we walk by what? Faith and not by sight. But guess what? One day, God will reward your faith to become sight. The question is, are we faithful enough in that process until our faith becomes sight? The Bible says, Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but Thou shalt meditate therein day and night. And then, so that you may observe according to all that is written there is for, then thou shalt make your way prosperous and you shall have good success. Success is measured by how faithful we are to His word and the calling for our life. That's how God measures success in our life. Not about the outcome. The outcome is secondary. If God wants me to glorify Him in my sickness, may the name of God be glorified. If God wants me to glorify Him by being a director in a certain company, by having a good career, Let the name of God be glorified. If God wants me to become missionary in in a desolate place or in somewhere that is remote, may the name of God be glorified in my ministry, wherever they are. That's what evangelistic spirit is all about. It is the lifestyle that I hope when we leave this place will be so interwoven with your life That every day when you wake up in the morning, your prayer will always be, Lord, help me to be the agent of life and not death for someone. Help me to be ever so sensitive to the voice of your Holy Spirit that I may do the best that I can be to meet the needs of someone out there, that they may see Jesus through me. And you know what? There are moments whereby God will put you into that test. Now, you know what, there, there is one thing that I just want to share with you. As most of you know, uh, my profession, I am, I am a cardiologist. And, uh, and you know what, to be honest, I cannot boast about what I have because I believe everything that I have is really only given by God. I remember that I di- actually did not choose to become cardiologist until my physician exam. So I decided pretty late. In the beginning, I actually wanted to be an infectious disease physician like Justin. That's what I wanted to be. You know, I felt they are smart. You know, they are, they are, they, they, they know all the diagnosis, you know, Uh, you know, and so I was inspired about that. So I did not decide to do cardiology until my physician exam. I remember it was March 2009. Now, 2009 is like a very, very busy year for me. There was a time I sit for my physician exam for the written part, the clinical part, and then I ran full evangelism for three weeks, and then after that, I got married also in 2009. (laughs) So it was a very, very busy year for me, to be honest. So I did not decide to do cardiology until uh, that physician exam. So basically, in contrast to many other candidates who wanted to do cardiology, now cardiology is a very, very for those of you in the physician training. Is actually a very, very popular specialty, and uh, and the, you know you have to go through interview. You know they look at you more if you do have done research or you know the you know the directors or anything like that. It's like all those things matter. Now, as I said, I did not decide until the last minute, right? But one thing that I always do when I'm at work is I always try to give hundred to two hundred percent at my work, because I know that the name of God is at risk if I don't do my best at work. That's always my philosophy in life. Whatever that God has entrusted, you do, you do your best, and I'm sure God will take care of the rest. So anyway, the challenge for me at the time when I was sitting, uh, when I was wanting to apply for cardiology is that The interview, so basically to do that, you have to pass all your physician exam that is given after you pass the physician exam and then you sit for the interview. And then after that, they decide, you know, uh, whether this is, you know, we like this or not. At the time, uh, there were 14 spots in Victoria, 14 spots in Victoria. And there were about 150, I believe, I can't remember, 150, 180 Applicants from Victoria alone, notwithstanding the applicants from New South Wales, South Australia, uh, and other states of Australia. And so that's the first challenge for me. The second challenge for me was uh, the interview from the very inception of cardiology specialty in Australia has always been conducted on Sabbath. And it's a panel interview whereby. All the directors of cardiology services in Victoria will sit and fire questions at you. So that's really the interview process. So really, you, can, you, know, you can't escape that, so to speak, if you want to be a cardiologist, right? So I remembered I knew about this challenge. So I went to uh, uh, one of my supervisors in the cardiology. I said, look, I mean, he doesn't seem to know me very well because... I wasn't trained in Monash uh, when I was a medical student, etc. So I explained to him about my challenge. I said, look, I, uh," because he asked me, everyone asked, what do you want to do, Sam, when you finish your exam? So I said, I want to do cardiology. uh, But, you know, one thing that I have issue is the interviews on Sabbath. So he looked at me and said, you will never get into cardiology. If you do not want to sit the interview on Saturday, you will not get into cardiology. So I said, oh, okay, that's fine. That's my faith. I said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, and I believe in the Seventh-day Sabbath. But you know what? Deep inside my heart, I was... Have you ever had that kind of feeling? You know, you dream about this thing. You're passionate about this thing, and you want to do this because I believe that I can serve God in that Uh, Because, you know, cardiology has a lot of lifestyle issues, so that's where I'm seeing myself. And then, besides that, I tend to think better in emergency situations than during day-to-day situations. It's kind of, I don't know why. Whenever emergency comes, like, oh, I think very clearly, actually. When patient is, like, dying, oh, I tend to think clearly. But when patient is alive, like, uh, I, I just, I don't know, very strange, I know. But anyhow, that's the reason why I wanted to do cardiology. And then probably he had some sympathy on me, so he said like this to me, Sam, why don't you write a letter to the gentleman who actually organized this panel interview and explain your situation? So I said, okay, you know, God will not do something that I don't do, right? And this one I can do. I don't have to tell God to write email to him, so I can write email to him, so I wrote an email to this gentleman and I said, I explained to him my situation, etc. And he rang me and said, Sam, you know, you you really can't. Can you do like a phone interview? And I said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't. Because you know what? That's what all the Jewish does. That's what all the Jews does. So immediately I knew that uh, the Jews are actually not very strict on Sabbath keeping, actually. Depending on what the rabbi Right, and apparently phone interview is not, is allowable <laughs> basically for them. So, so he said, that's what we do all the time to the Jews. And I said, uh, I'm really sorry, I cannot do this. And he said, Oh well, in that situation, I can't help you. I said, you know, and at that time, even though I was disappointed, few scenarios went into my mind. I thought to myself, Oh yeah, maybe God knows, I'm getting married this year. So, uh, you know, maybe I just get married and then next year I'll apply in New South Wales, you know. And then if New South Wales is on Sabbath, I have to just keep applying to other states. But that's really, I I was determined, Lord, uh, I'm a little bit disappointed. I'm very honest with God, but I know that you have something bright for me. And, you know, in His mercy, God created another job opportunity, basically. Basically, one of my other boss said to me, Sam... Uh, I heard about your issue, and we have a job for you. And, you know, you know, our interview with you is just going to be formality. You actually get the job. But, uh, but I said to her, look, uh, you know what, I will take this, but as you know, my passion is cardiology. So anyway, the date was set, and the interview was conducted. It was on Sabbath, and the day passed. And, you know, deep inside your heart, you kind of... I don't know how to describe it, but there was a level of disappointment within my heart. On Monday, I received an email, and the email stated, we in the cardiology units in Victoria are unable for the first time to fill all the positions. Now, I mean, can you just make the mathematical equation here, right? 150 applicants just Victorian, for 14 jobs. Now, all these 140, 150 applicants, they all have passed exam. So they all, by qualification, they are allowed to apply for cardiology. But how can you not fill in these four positions in Victoria? So he said, would you like to come for our second round interview? Never happened in the, in the history of cardiology. Never happened. And I said, I will come if it's not on Sabbath. Well, it's on Thursday. Can you come? I said, oh, yeah, sure. I will come if it's not on Sabbath, I told you. So I came to that interview, and I was sitting in the panel interviewer, basically. Now, I'm talking about these are uh, the director of cardiology units. So they are the, you know, the most important figure of cardiology in every hospital in Victoria, So they began to fire questions after questions, you know. Why cardiology? And all these generic questions. And the last questions that I will never forget in my life, the lady raised a question like this. We noted that you did not sit for your interview because of your faith. Can you explain to us? Now, uh, I mean, how would you like to feel doing evangelism to... Directors of cardiology in all Victoria. I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give it to you all, basically. (laughs) Live inside my heart. So I just said, I am a Seventh-day Adventist. I believe in the Bible Sabbath. For us, and you know, I just go on, right? And says, for us, this is a day whereby we want to spend time with God. And I just went on. And and they said, look, you know what? Your explanation is good, but... uh, We're concerned whether your faith will impact your practice Uh, as a cardiologist. You know what would happen if we have to do what round on Sabbath, and I said, "You don't have to worry. Being a good Christian makes me a better doctor." Mm -hmm. And uh, and the next day, she rang up and said, "We really like you. We want to take you on board." And it's quite interesting, you know, with my journey in that hospital, because she's actually a Jew, by the way. (laughs) And and it's quite fascinating that every Christmas dinner, now for those of you who know in the hospital, Christmas dinner is normally on Saturday night, right? And during summertime, so the sun set late, right? But, uh, you know, so I got invited on my first year. I said, oh, sorry, I can't come. And they're like, oh, yeah, because you... You cannot come. Yeah, so, so they try to push the dinner, like later to accommodate so that I can come, basically. So I said, that's fine, I'll come when the sun set. <clears throat> but you know what? One thing I find is that at times God allows certain apparent failure to happen in your life because He wants to elevate you to the next level. He wants to be a game changer, history changer not just playing down in this kindergarten playground anymore. If you know what I mean, I'm not saying that kindergarten is bad, but I'm just saying that as your faith grows, He will, he will really validate your faith and put you in a greater responsibility so that you can shine even brighter for Him. I would not be able to share about Sabbath to director of cardiology had it not been for that circumstances. And it's quite interesting We had a study group, and uh, all these guys, like, really powerful. And by the way, I I tried to invite them when I was taking a year off in 2007 doing Bible work because Mark Finley had evangelism. I tried to invite them. They're like, ah, no, I'm not interested. And, you know, immediately the news spread throughout the whole hospital that there is this guy who is so cool, did not rock up to his first interview. And I don't know why everyone of my friend in that year was like asking me Sam that's amazing you know and one of the guy like one of the study group like said to me you know what Sam you are the coolest man i've ever met as if you just walk into this interview and said do you want me or not <laughs> <clears throat> And uh and i said oh well you know i cannot claim credit i said thank god for that and i remember one of the other study group members said to me like this you know what Sam I don't know about you but I seem to feel that there is someone out there that is guiding your way now they are atheists by the way they're agnostic probably not atheists now that I think through probably they are most likely agnostic but for me that is a living testimony But for me, I can never, and that's why I said to you, I can never claim anything for my career path. But you see, this is faith, and this is the process. Can God trust you when you fail? Fail? Or can God trust you when you succeed? Can God trust you when you are up in the mountain, Or can God trust you when you are down in the valley? And can you trust Him when you are down in the valley or when you are up in the mountain? Regardless of the outcome in your life, I'm sure sometimes we bring upon ourselves certain things in life. If you are lazy at work and you got fired, you cannot blame God for that one. You're just simply being lazy, right? But when you have done everything in your sphere of influence to do the best for Him, He will look after you. I just want to share with you this quotation that I find it's, it's a, a very powerful quotation. The Lord disciplines His workers that they may be prepared to fill the places appointed them. He desires to fit them to do more acceptable service. There are those who wish to be, what? A ruling power and who need the sanctification of submission. God brings about a change in their lives. Perhaps He places before them duties. What? that they would not? Hang on for a sec. So sometimes when I'm at church and I don't quite enjoy this ministry that I'm doing, could it be that there is your training ground for something bigger and something greater? Rather than stopping and saying, I've had enough of this. You proceed with faith. You see, perhaps He places before them duties that they would not choose if they are willing to be guided by Him. He will give them grace and strength to perform these duties in a spirit of submission and helpfulness. Thus, they are being qualified to fill places where their disciplined abilities will make them of what? Great service. Some got trained by bringing to them what? Disappointment and apparent failure. You see, it's not a failure. It's an apparent failure. It is His purpose that they shall learn to master difficulties. He inspires them with a determination to prove every apparent failure a success. You you notice, she doesn't use the word failure. Everything in God's fear when we are faithful is all apparent, by the way. Mm -hmm. Apparent failure a success. Often men pray and weep because of the perplexities and obstacles that confront them. But if they will hold the beginning of their confidence steadfast unto the end... God will make their way clear. Success will come as they struggle against, a you see apparent again? Apparently insurmountable difficulties and with success will come the greatest joy. So if you are facing difficulties in your evangelism, if you are facing difficulties in your career, if you are facing difficulties in your study life, thank God for that. Because God is building the muscles of your faith in your body so next time He can give you more weight for you to bench press. (laughs) And in doing so, you can become what? Stronger and stronger and stronger. And guess what? As we become stronger, those little dumbbells is no longer stimulating to us, right? we need a bigger weight, you see, and God can entrust you with a higher position in our life. Provided we are faithful. And finally, in closing, I just want to share with you this quotation. In my personal life, it's actually easier to deal with failure than dealing with success. You know, very easy to deal with failure, right? You just... Bow on your knees, pray, you cry a bit, or I don't know what you do, but you know, you're like, you know, you uh, you know, my life is so miserable, etc. It's so easy to deal with failure. Dealing with success is very difficult. Because often when you are successful in what you do, you tend to take what? Credit for yourself. And you can become boastful without even realizing it. Now, for me, that temptation is always great because you know what? I'm dealing with acute medicine. If you want to know the work of us, basically, we're the one who got called at, in the middle of the night for 24 hours a day, seven days a week when someone has heart attack and within 20 minutes, we have to be there to open the artery. And you know what? To see when someone arrives in your cath lab with nursing staff doing CPR on top of them in cardiogenic shock, in the shadow of death, and once you fix that, they came back to alive, good blood pressure and everything, sometimes what? You can feel good about yourself, you know? Like you feel that, you know, you have achieved something, if you know what I mean. Let alone if you deal with complicated procedure and you're able to do one of the most complex stenting and everyone says, man, that is really difficult. And the patients look to you and say, thank you so much for what you've done for me. You know what, my everything. Sometimes it's very easy for us to to take credit for ourselves. Notice what Ellen White says. This is going to be uh, the last slide. Actually, two slides. She says this. Never should what? Familiarity with suffering cause the physician to become Careless or unsympathetic. Do you know what it means by over-familiarity? It's like this, you know, because uh, you're a dentist, right? So, uh, obstetrician. obstetrician, sorry. You're obstetrician. You deliver babies every day, complicated babies. It's familiar to you, you know? Some of you are GP. Some of you cardiologists or lifestyle practice, whatever. It's like a bread and butter thing. You know what I mean? It's like bread and butter. And you feel like, ah, this is going to be a walk in the park. You know what I mean? What does she say? Cause the physician to become careless or unsympathetic. In cases of dangerous illness, the afflicted one feels that he is at the mercy of the physician. He looks to that physician as his only earthly hope. And the physician should ever point that trembling soul to one who is greater than himself, even the Son of God who gave his life to save him from death, who pities the sufferer, and who by his divine power will give skill and wisdom to all who ask him. When the patient knows not how his case will turn, is the time for the physician to impress the mind. He should not do this with a desire to what? Distinguish himself. You know what? I am the best in my field. You can trust me. You know, at times, I know that some doctors do say that, you know. You can trust me. I am the expert. But that he may point the soul to Christ... As a personal Savior. If the life is spared, there is a soul for that physician to watch for. The patient feels that the physician is the very life of his life. And to what purpose should this great confidence be employed? Always to win a soul to Christ and magnify the power of God. Amen. And I believe every health practitioner. Now, I know I'm a bit biased. I quote a lot of physicians because... Obviously, that's closer to me. But Ellen actually talks to nursing staff too. You know, she talks to uh, 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 other gospel workers. But any health workers, whatever you do, whatever you are, let this statement be in your mind: that we are nothing. I want to repeat again: we are nothing but an agent of His grace to this dying world. And every day before I perform a procedure. I always say a word of prayer for myself. I always say, "Lord, you've died for this patient, and this patient now is on the table, and help me to be the agent of life and not death. And Lord, may the grace of Jesus cover over her and help me, Lord. And throughout the procedure, sometimes when complex starts, you know, I, uh, you know, I just say that quick word of prayer within my heart, so that God will continue to guide my mind, that I may not slip out, you know, that I may continue." To bring glory to Him in whatever things I have. And when the patient is alive, when the patient survives, the glory goes to His name and not me. Remember, we are just a tool. Nothing more than that. And let it be that the meditation of this uh, devotion uh, be something that we take home with. I just want to challenge everyone here to be faithful, whatever they are, whatever you're called to. If you are called to minister to your neighbor, be faithful to it. If you are called to minister to someone else, be faithful to it. Because you know God will always provide opportunity for you when evangelism is part of your lifestyle. May God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse